0: Today on the show, I am so excited to be joined by former Special Forces soldier and the current star of Channel 4's hit show, SAS Who dares Wins. It's Ollie Ollerton on the show. Ollie is a man who has been through so much in his career and his life, including crazy stories like having to flee over the border in Thailand, having been wanted by the government, after saving over 20 children from a paedophile ring. He's here to talk about those stories and many more, such as being attacked by a circus chimp at the age of 10 and almost losing his life in the process. You're going to hear all these crazy stories and everything it takes mentally to be a special forces soldier. This was a very, very no holds barred conversation with Ollie and he opened up about absolutely everything, including mental health issues and some very strong opinions on mindset and mentality. I honestly believe you are going to gain so, so much from listening to this conversation. And if you enjoyed the conversation, then please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It helps us out so much with the visibility of the show. Now, without any further ado, Ollie Ollerton, welcome to the Freedom Pack. Thank you. I'd I'd love to start off by discussing this idea with conformity. Uh, A quote of yours that really stood out to me was, if you want to fulfill your potential, don't conform. What is it that you actually mean by this?
1: What what I mean by that is, you know, we are brought into this world as created beings then you know you go to school and then all that is it's all that kind of creativity is sucked out of you being systemized with the system and put into a process to support the system and i just think that you know the, this sort of carved pre-described path is not productive to the individual so for me I think one of the things that I've always done, you know, subconsciously and unconsciously is I've always questioned status quo. I've always questioned, you know, if everyone's sort of told to go left, I'll see what opportunities lay to the right. So I've always questioned the system. I've always asked why. Does that suit me? Does that suit my purpose? Uh, what is that? And I feel that so many people are just, they're just so conformist. They're they just, they're keeping up with the Joneses. They do what is prescribed. They don't think, Why am I doing this? You know, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, to give you an example, I mean, some friends recently, you know, we want to take our child and we want to, um, um, get them christened. And I was like, well, why are you doing that? Because they don't go to church. They're not religious. And they basically wanted, you know, oh, because, well, we we don't know really. They, They didn't, they didn't have the answer to the question. But the thing is that it was what everyone else in the family had done previous to them. So so many people are following this path without any real purpose or personal uh, direction of why they're doing it. You know, and I have always, always, and like I say, subconsciously, unconsciously questioned that. Um, you know, the purpose in everything I'm doing. I've always asked the question: Why people, even the special forces? I didn't even know I was doing it, but everyone used to say, "I can always remember you." Everything we did, you used to ask why. But why shouldn't we ask why? Why shouldn't we understand the purpose of why we're doing something? What it means to us individually, and how is that going to benefit us? help us personally to grow? But so many people are just, you know, just living on the pre-prescribed um, route, and and they're not doing something that fulfills them and anything that they're passionate about.
0: Yeah, that that brings me on to um, something you you mentioned before that I loved. It is this idea of of people living life through an LPS. I think you call yes. it a life positioning Thank you. system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: that's exactly it. You know, people are on their LPS. You know, everyone's on the LPS near enough. And that's the life positioning system. It's exactly the same as a GPS. You get in a car and the car tells you exactly where to go. And even when you reach your destination, you think, holy shit, I know a much better route than that, but I wasn't prepared to think. But people in their lives are following the life positioning system. They're they're following, you know, they're told where to go, what to do. Uh, They're not, you know they're not we're, we're born as creative beings right we're meant to be out there we're meant to create we're meant to uh, create our own purpose and people just aren't doing that um and we as humans we're not meant to be put into boxes and then put into a certain sort of demographic of our um you know our working life or, or our jobs and everything else it's like me i thought joining the military was my purpose my meaning my everything but I realised through that whole career that it wasn't. It, you know, I I got there and realised that every every stage I went through in the military, it just didn't satisfy me. There wasn't I wasn't easy. I wasn't at ease with what I was doing. I was at dis ease with with what everything I was doing in the military. It wasn't um, yeah, and everything I was searching for this external fix, it just wasn't there. But it takes a lot. A lot of people will just sit there and endure that. It's like having two tapes and never actually having the extraction because you don't want that short-term discomfort. You know what I mean? It's like you you will endure that ongoing toothache for all your life because you're scared to step out of that and have the extraction, which will cause, which will cause a great deal of pain. However, it will have a long-term benefit. And that's wow. the, that's really the ethos behind point.
0: It makes me wonder. When did you first start to question, um, you know, the, the idea of conformity and, and LPS? W- were you, what were you like as a student in school? Did you realize this from a young age? Were you quite rebellious in that sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, I started off in school and I was, you know, the, just the the grade A student. You know, as a kid, this was sort of pre—I I don't even know what you call it in school terms. I wasn't—I wasn't even interested. But you know, <laughs> before the age of twelve, you know, I was doing everything. I was conforming. I, I enjoyed my sort of schooling and everything else but um you know I got to a point I think there was a a quite remarkable point where I was about 13 14 I just questioned everything I lost interest at school you know not everyone is geared to be able to absorb academia it's just not you know people that think oh you know people are victim not victimized but people are, are given sort of a negative spin because they're not very good at school but the thing is some people aren't good at tests. Some people aren't good at following a syllabus. You know, it's just not the perfect fit for everyone. It doesn't mean that they're done. But for me, you know, I kind of, I think, I think to be honest, I mean, I was always, that rebellious side of me was always there. It started at an early age. And I, I really think a lot of it was the spin-off from when I got attacked by the chin. You know, that changed me. And I, these, cha- you know, changes monumental changes like that you don't sort of sit there and go oh I've now changed this person it's only in, in hindsight and reflection that you understand that and for me looking back now to that you know my life changed drastically from that point seeing sort of life the fact I was going to lose my life at such an early age it gave me a sort of a different spin on life and that for me uh was was the start of sort of the rebellion I think and that was the 10 years old
0: Yeah, you you bring that up. And that's something I I wanted to get to, because I imagine that is a a great example of a break point in your life, because I imagine, you know, you had to find some sort of clarity in uh, an unimaginable chaotic state, but you were able to find that clarity in that moment during that incident. Um, But I, I, you know, I know you must get asked that question a lot. So, but I would, I would like uh, our listeners to, to just understand it, because I think it's a great story. And I think it's important that that sort of clarity and that break point in that moment, that was pivotal to your survival.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And that was, as you said, that was my first break point. And that was the moment that, you know, I was unfortunately attacked by a chimp at the circus, at the local circus. Um, just as they were setting up the, um, the circus, I, you know, we, managed, we turned up and asked if we could have a look around. And then I got attacked by a chimp. Um, and I'm sat under the chimp. And this thing's attacking me. It's trying to defend its you know, its, it's young. And um, it's, it's tearing chunks out of me. And I knew at that point, you know, I was sat there under the chimp. And I thought, if I don't do something, I'm going to die. And it was that moment that I had to do something to change that situation. But by doing so, it was going to anger that chimp even further. You know, I was retaliating. So obviously it's going to up the ante and, and do the same with me. But I had no choice. So I took that decision, made that happen, and managed to dislodge the chimp, managed to get my foot up to my chest and, and kick the chimp off. And in doing so, I managed to create enough space for me to get away from it. And, the, and then the, the chimp was caught by the chain. But I reflect on that moment now, and there's so many people in life that will, will stay under the chimp. You know what I mean? Throughout life, they will stay under that chimp and allow the discomfort to go on and on. It goes back to the, the uh, toothache analogy. But you have, and this is the whole concept, the breakpoint, you have to take the short-term discomfort for the long-term gain. And we are such creatures that have it that even if it's a discomfort and a negative in our life, we will continue doing everything we did yesterday and the day before because as far as survival is concerned, all we know is that kept us alive till today. So we are living in a repeat cycle of yesterday, which is actually a contradiction And that causes, I feel, a lot of issues in people's personal lives because we're meant to create, we're meant to be productive. However, the survival blueprint has primary control over everything that we do. But people, unless you understand that, you actually think you've got a real mental health issue.
0: I love how you've you've turned that experience in, into an analogy in a way of, of people staying under the chimp. And and obviously it is such a traumatic experience and, and one that you mentioned you carried for, for 30 years post. So when you look back on that now, is there anything that you managed to, other than that, take from the experience, maybe a lesson, something about yourself, a mentality? Was there any silver lining to that moment in your life now?
1: Yeah, no, 100%. You know, even at an early age, sat under the chin. regardless of your situation, you have choices. Regardless of where you are, what you're doing, what situation you're in, you have a choice. And that made me realize that no matter how harsh the situation, uh, and it's happened to me a number of times, and I've got into, you know, sort of some very dark moments, but I've always realized, reflecting back on that moment, you still have a choice, you have a choice to think differently, to act differently. And that's the, the positive spin on that 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 experience as a kid. And I, weird as it sounds, I'm so glad it happened. Because it caused me, you know, it's such an amazing story. And it, it taught me such an amazing lesson in life that has reflected in everything I've done. Again, like I say, you know, at the time, it's this is only in reflection. You can only sort of, uh, analyze in reflection as opposed to on at the moment. But um, you know, that, that taught me so much. And I, weird as it sounds like, I say not in the moment, but looking back, I'm glad it happened.
0: You mentioned that a breakpoint by definition in computing is an intentional stop in or pause in place in a program put in for debugging purposes. And yeah. you relate this to the special forces, but you also suggest that they are in each and every one of us. So where are they found in everyday life and, and what are they by definition to you?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and, and that is, you know, I stumbled across that. I was just sort of looking at Breakpoint and I was putting that into the Internet, uh, into, into a Google, Google search, actually, and it came up in Wikipedia. And it came up with that you know that and that that sort of in computing terms, but the thing is we a lot of people can actually relate more to computing terms than we can into our own sort of human psychology so but it spells out exactly how breakpoint really works and how the special forces use that, um, and this also links in um, to a breathing technique now basically i mean that is the whole concept behind it, you know when you look at it, if you want to look at it from sort of. Uh, a more biological um, view uh, and not think it's just hocus-pocus. The fact is, what happens when you get into a stressful situation is your cortisol levels fill up. Okay? You, you, your cortisol levels are raised and that's what causes the confusion. We can actually only handle five to nine, some people a lot less, but we can actually handle probably five to nine pieces of information at any one time before we start getting confused Before we start looking for the easy way out, so basically, what happens is stressful situation. Cortisol levels start to to start to rise. We start to get confused. We start to make decisions that are not always the right ones, or we freeze in the situation. Now, a simple technique that they start—they're starting to teach this in special forces all over the world. I'm not sure about the UK. I think it would take them some time to do this. it comes by natural ease with the situation you're in anyway but simply making sure your breathing is controlled will lower that cortisol it allows that five to nine become, and then you what you do is you allow that five to nine to become one to two so you look at the situation you manage to triage the importance of everything that's going on strip away all the crap that's going on inside your head and deal with one or two things that are really important to get out of the situation. Now, you imagine special forces, they're stacking up on a door about to go in a room that is full of possible enemy. You don't know what's behind the door. There could be nothing. You don't know. You could be walking into a wall of, of, of bullets. But the stress on the outside of that door is phenomenal. And unless you have what basically happens, unless you can control that sort of anxiety through breathing, your breathing becomes erratic course, all levels fill up before you know it, you're making really bad decisions. That really fits into that whole, you know, and that for me is, is, fits. when I saw that on the, on Wikipedia, I just thought, wow, that is exactly what Breakpoint's all about. You know, I didn't copy it from Wikipedia. It it was, it was already there. So yeah, it it was just amazing when I saw that. But that is exactly what happens. We, We debug all, all the, all the stuff, all the crap that doesn't matter and deal with the real things, the one or two things that matter at that moment in time. Recalibrate and then we deliver the correct action from a mindset of clarity. One thing I'd like to say is I do not own the concept or theory behind breakpoint. Breakpoint is in every single one of us, okay? Our life, our days, our minutes, our hours are controlled by breakpoints. And break point is the moment that you will decide that nothing will stand in the way of you and your goals. Now, that could be the fact that, you know, you get there at night and you're thinking, oh, I've just cooked dinner. I'm really tired. I can't be bothered to do the washing. I'm going to leave for tomorrow. It's how simple it is. But the thing is, by going through, pushing through, that's a break point. No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to face the discomfort now because tomorrow means I don't have to deal with it. And that's, we're making decisions like that every day of our lives. It's like going for a run. You know, I'm the same. I go for a run, and you start your mind is so, um, so devious at managing you. You know, go and check your phone, go and do this before you go for a run to try and distract you from what you really need to do, not want to do, but sort of need to do because your end goal is to get fitter. So, for me, it's like that is a break point for me. I'm like, my mind's, I know my mind is going to start reacting when it's a bit probably raining outside, whether you know I'm tired I've I'm not i not trained but I just know that putting on my shoes putting a step outside that door is the only thing I need to do to make it work and and that is why you know breakpoints everywhere we look we as humans right there's three things sex food and the shortcuts to both of them not <laughs> <laughs> mentioning that in alcohol because that turbo drives everything but <laughs> But that's, the, you know, it's like the shark analogy. A shark doesn't care about anything about sex, food, or food and sex. And the shortest, sh- we are always looking for the shortcut. We as humans are always, we- it's the same for us. We're always looking for the shortest way to everything. So we will, you know, it's, that could be down to not sending the last email because you want to walk out of the office, not doing, you know, not not, the I's and crossing the T's. Um, so we're always looking for the, the shortcut in everything we do. And that's why I call that the shortcut syndrome. It's like once you realize these emotions, and I talk about this a lot, you have to be an emotional observer as opposed to a victim. And if you don't observe the emotions and you become wrapped up in your emotions, you become the victim of them. So once you can stand aside and observe the emotions that are are going on and happening inside of your brain and understand, right, this is ego, this is fear, this is whatever it is, once you can do it from that angle and start to understand which ones I want to accept and which ones I don't, you become the controller as opposed to you being controlled by your emotions.
0: Yeah, that, that reminds me of, of um, something you, you talked about in your book and, and you stressed the importance of uh, stepping out of your comfort zone and, and that too many people are just, you know, they, they're too content with living comfortably. So I, what I wanted to ask was, was why is this idea of, of getting out of your comfort zone is so important to you? And is this something that you continue to do now, uh, even after all your success in your career?
1: Well, first of all, I do. The answer, the simple answer to what you say is yes. You know, I do constantly. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, there's always obstacles in the path. The obstacles are the path. You know what I mean? Everyone's looking for the easy way out. But I feel that what we're talking about here is that, I do, but it's linked to a goal. Now, if my goal is to say something like, "I want to," run, not for instance, this isn't my goal, but I want to run a twenty k race in six months' time. Then, as long as that working through that obstacle is because I want to reach that goal, then I must I must go through that process. And if it's not linked to a goal, it seems purposeless. It has to, We have to have purpose in everything that we do. Otherwise, there's no purpose in doing it, and we take the easy way out and live in this misconceived conception of comfort zone. There's no comfort in comfort zones. There's no growth in comfort zones. You know, there's nothing there. There's, there's more so discomfort. But, you know, I think that, you know, if you've got a goal, it has to be linked. We, we have to have a certain goal, a certain purpose. We as humans are put on this planet from a pure evolution um, uh, basis to evolve, to create, to produce. Um and if we're not doing that, that's when we sort of spiral out of control and start going into depression. But I think that, you know, I do that every day. I do that, look, my goal is to build my business, my goal is to do X, Y, that I have so many goals. And every time I do something, if you know, something stands in the way of my goal and that's the obstacle, then I know I've just got to go through it. But you have to then become process driven. Because if you rely on emotion, your emotions will tell you to shut up go and check your phone, go and turn the kettle on, go and get a packet of biscuits out of the fridge, go and do this, I think, oh, I'll just do it all later, 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 later. No one's there to hand you back that time. So, you know, yeah, I face obstacles every day.
0: Yeah, I, I love that idea of, of being goal-driven and and process-driven. And one of the earliest examples I can think of that is, is a few years ago, I, I'm i terrible at running. It's like the one thing I can't do. I, I go to the gym, but I'll lift weights or I'll swim or anything other than actual running. And yeah. I thought to myself, well, what's the best way to get running is, you know, I'd never run a 5K at this point, but I decided I'd just sign myself up for the Cardiff Half Marathon.
1: Yeah. And
0: when that was in place, I had no choice but to go through that process then, because there it was, it was a goal at the end of it.
1: And you made yourself accountable.
0: One of the things you mentioned there was, was being purpose-driven, and I wonder, because I imagine anyone who has lived, you know, any sort of military career, a lot of their identity, a lot of their purpose is sort of consumed by their military career. That's that's who mm-hmm. they are. And yeah. so when you eventually came out of that space, did you have any initial struggles in finding out who you are, what your purpose is, and, and how did you then go about figuring out what that is?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. But, um, you know, I, I, my, my purpose was, was the wrong purpose when it came out because I was in, you know, I joined the military. I thought it was, you know, that was the world for me. That was everything I desired as a young man. That was it, that completed everything. But then when our perception and reality are obviously very, two very different things. And my reality, when I actually got in there, it didn't fulfill that purpose. You know. And that purpose isn't something you can find by, oh, well, I'm in now, and that ticks the box. It's something from deep inside you that makes you feel, yep, yeah, I am where I need to be. And that feeling was never there for me. When I, when I left, my purpose was to get rich. Now, when I look back on that now, that is just ridiculous. Whatever dream or goal you have, it has to, it has, there has to be an element of emotion. If, you, if I said to you, right, I want to be a millionaire. I want to imagine a million pounds in the bank, or and you look at that million pounds. That is absolutely nothing compared to what you could do with that money. Mm. So you have to link the emotion to the experience that that money is going to create, not the fact of you having the money. Do you know what I mean? And it's like your, it's like my business and everything now. My business is about the business. It's about what it does, what it delivers. It's about what I can give to other people, and that creates revenue for me. The revenue is the byproduct. The focus is what my my company does, which, if I give you the the, the um, you know, my mission statement is to create a globally identified brand recognized for the positive growth and development of others, mm. and that is my focus. Now, obviously everything that we do is it creates revenue for us, but it creates revenue on the byproducts of being passionate about what I want to do for other people and how that helps me. And when I came out, I came out with it. Oh, I want to, you know, it, it was too money focused. Everything was money focused and it didn't create the level of emotion that's required for you to sort of feel passionate about what you're doing. Um, so it took me a long, long time, you know, 10 years, I was bouncing all over the world going to war zones, going here, there and everywhere, risking my life, doing stupid things, not being fulfilled, massive void in my life, so I was drinking alcohol. It was, it was just a, such a messy way of, of living. And It wasn't until I started realizing that happiness, fulfillment, everything is not external, it's internal, it's within. And once you get that right, then everything else starts working around you.
0: Yeah, and and I, I heard somewhere that you 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 were quoted as saying that your purpose now is helping other people, and yeah. I think that is spot on. Given what you went on to do afterwards with the work you did with with rescuing children, and yeah. uh, what what was that experience like, and and how much more did that give you than say money in your bank account?
1: Yeah, well, that was that was nothing. I you know I had no idea what that was going to give me in return. Um, I did it because obviously I was quite passionate. I heard the story about kids—you know, 1.6 million kids a year. It's probably a lot more than that. That's just the stats uh, being sold into slavery and prostitution in Southeast Asia. So, you know, immediately I wanted to be a part of that to help and do what I could. And I got a chance to. Uh, initially, I was training people to go undercover and and try and find these kids that were being sort of exploited. And then there's a few some. Sort of personal changes in my life which meant I could go over and and actually get involved in the operation and we went into Thailand we did a few things we actually went initially to to record a documentary on it but it kind of went sour because you know everything's so corrupt over in Thailand that as soon as we got to the places where we suspected kids were the whole staff had changed overnight Uh, you know no problem here so basically we then went into the foothills of uh, Thailand, between Thailand and the Burmese border, uh, where there was satellite camps all across the border where they were holding kids, being sold into slavery and prostitution. And we managed to get 22 kids out, um, which doesn't sound a lot. It doesn't sound a lot, but, you know, when it comes to, to child rescue, that is a lot, of, a lot of kids in one hit. Now, we made the mistake of, of advertising that to the world, which became the uh, the downfall of the charity um, because the the Thais came on the backlash, and basically was was arrested on site. We had to to escape out of Thailand and and get back the um, safety as soon as possible. But actually going through that process and seeing those kids and understanding that you know we used to get we got the kids and we used to put them through into orphanages that would you know the charity would then raise money for them to have a proper education. The amount of fulfilment I got from that was. Nothing that I'd ever, ever had before. I was so humbled by the experience. And when you look at it, uh, and again, I keep always going back to the evolution of the species. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? That in helping others, we're going to get a lot of fulfillment back from that because it helps the species to survive and evolve. So it's, it's no strange fact that, you know, helping other people is, is such an amazing feeling and so fulfilling. And it's something that we, society creates these silos of people all fighting to get the top position, the most likes on Instagram, you know, the best business, the best this, the best that, and very much wrapped in their own world. And they become very selfish. So sort of society is, is making people sort of steer away from this, this sort of humanized bond we have with everyone, everyone else, but to help other people. Once you do that, once you put your hand out for someone else that is in a lower position than you and pull them up, there is no other feeling like it, no other feeling like it. So that for me was an epiphany, it was a turning point, and it made me realize the power of helping other people. And that links back to my mission statement.
0: To, to get that across, I think that's yeah. an absolute beautiful Thanks. answer. Yeah. Um, so move, moving back to that uh, identity thing, I think a lot of mental health issues uh, can be related to that, and I assume a lot of you know military people go through the same thing. And when I was looking up uh, your thoughts on mental health, um, one of the things I came across more than once was you talk about this negative cycle we go through surrounding mental health. Can can you just explain what that is, and then in turn, how does someone go around breaking that cycle?
1: Yeah, this goes back again. I keep on going back to to evolution. Now, when it comes to evolution and um, evolution of a species, positivity. Has no value whatsoever. Okay. Negativity has a massive value because, as far as we're concerned, survival is key. So, only 15,000 years ago, we were being hunted and hunting for our food. Time and technology has advanced so quickly, but human evolution hasn't. We're still in that mindset. So, we are default negative regardless. So we all come from a default negative blueprint. Now, everything we do, as soon as you start looking, everything we, we're always looking for what could go wrong, everything we do. And as soon as you do that, everyone knows that as soon as you think something negative, it's contagious before, you know, it, you've got so many negative thoughts about one thing. Yeah. it's, it's, It's like, it's so, so contagious. It's like the negativity just flows and flows and flows. But when you think about something positive, it's really hard to, to, to keep that momentum flowing with the positivity. So for us, I think that we are, and we're caught, cool, and like I said, I've said this before that, uh, earlier, that we are on a reverse cycle of yesterday, always looking for what could go wrong. Now, the thing is with mental health, a lot of people, they talk about mental health. I see it on Instagram time and time again. You know, there's people that are suffering with mental health issues, not just guys from the military, you know, PTSD is not owned by the military. PTSD is from every man, woman, child, every genre. So basically, you, if you're so wrapped up in the problem, you're never going to get out of it. And that's why I talk also about, forget, not forget about mental Mental health is one thing, but start moving into mental wealth. How are you going to invest in yourself to put a ladder down into that bottomless pit and start climbing out rung by rung one rung at a time and that's why i think people are Got to make get away from the problem get away from the issue appreciate it become aware of what happened but start making a positive plan defined by a goal that is going to take you out from that bottomless pit and put you into a more positive mindset a lot of people i see on instagram you know people talk about oh this happened to me and they every year oh it's five years it's The 60 year anniversary, get away from it, stop doing it. You, you're not doing yourself any favors, you know. You need to be of a more positive sort of mindset, and the only way you can do that is by making a, a plan to actually pull yourself out of that darkness.
0: It's sort of similar to um, a quote I read by Jack Canfield before he talks about the idea of becoming a reverse paranoid. So, if you're always paranoid about things, those are going that is just going to attract negativity and yeah. problems but if you're reverse paranoid and you assume you know the best in everything then it's more likely that the best in everything is actually going to happen to you
1: yeah no absolutely and it's like we are you know like i keep saying we live in a repeat pattern of yesterday and people say you know it's like my girlfriend she uh she probably killed me then but she, she's like oh you know i hate the way i am at the moment you know, because we've moved home. there's lots going on the business moved house and we've both not been exercising as much as possible and i'm like oh, i hate the way everything is at the moment, you know, I just don't feel healthy. And I said, "Well, if you want your yesterday to be good, uh, to be better, make today your next yesterday. It's what you do today. Don't sit in the problem. It's what you do today that will change your tomorrow and change your yesterday."
0: That's awesome. I love that. And that's a sound bite. For the uh, for the podcast, if I've ever heard one, and um, so I, I just wanted to build on this idea of mentality while we're on there, and I think a great way to do that would be through a bit of visual- visualization. And um, given that, of course, most people uh, would know you from your work on SAS, Who Dares Wins. One of the things that people get a glimpse into, and I, I want to then talk about the mentality that that is used behind this, but. Just for a bit of visualization, early on in your career and selection process, you had to endure uh, interrogation phases. So before I ask you about the, the the mental capacity it takes to get through something like that, could you detail what that selection, you know, what that process is like and what it consists of, just what is, what is put on you in those positions?
1: Yeah, well, basically, first of all, I mean, this is the last part of your selection process. so. Once you get to the end, you know, this is the final test. So you've already done, come down a very arduous, very tough road already, end of a six-month cycle. But that is this, the start of that is, you know, you, you're on um, a survival exercise, you know, you're, you're extremely, you, you hardly eat, you do nothing, um, yeah, you have no nourishment whatsoever, and then you put into a sort of escape and evasion period of the course which is about over 10 days you're stripped totally of everything you've got You to world war one fatigues which is sort of like hairy blankets which they turn into clothes um you know like the old world war one trench coats um and you're sent on the run you know and you've got to evade capture for for, uh, for approximately 10 days and you've been hunted by hunter force dogs helicopters the whole lot um you have to sleep um in the day move at night to use the stars as navigation to get from point a to b and along the way you have to meet an agent which you know as long as you make the agent rendezvous you then get the next um information for the next coordinates for the next rendezvous uh you don't sleep during the day you're so on edge you're moving from point to point and you know it's, it's horrendous you have no sleep and days finally you get you know there's um an intentional catcher and you go into about 36, well, not about It is 36 hours because I know every second of, um, of interrogation. And, and that is basically where, you know, you're put into a room and you go through periods of interrogation. Uh, other times you're in a room where, you know, the floor is just hard, you know, like shale rocks and you have to kneel on it for the duration while there's white noise just as loud as anything blasting into your ears. And then you're taken away, it's actually, it's an absolute pleasure when you're taken away actually to be interrogated, but then you get into interrogation and you wish you were back. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So some, you know, and and at the end of the day, you know, people think it's a bizarre thing to do, but you're being prepared for war and being prepared to be captured. So, you know, it's absolute massive amount of value and um yeah this goes on for 36 hours i mean i can remember going into that you know and when you get to your first couple of seconds it's horrendous absolutely horrendous thinking i've got to do 36 hours of this and it's you know it's hideous you just just can't you can't see you're getting up that mountain and this is sort of analogy for 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 things like this when when times get really tough and what i had to do at that point is you have to, although you have these goals, when times get tough, you have to pull everything back and focus on one meter squared. You have to break everything down into a second and just get through that second, a second upon a second. Because if you look at the the bigger picture at that point, you're more likely to fail. And that's what you had to do in those. It had to be broken down second by second by second. I counted every end of that 36 hours, and it was hideous.
0: I, uh, I I can't begin to imagine what that is like because even, even when I watch the show and only that is you know that's just a I imagine a dampened down version of what you went through. But I even when I watch the show, I think you know the physical things. I think everyone everyone can push themselves physically, but I think the hardest battle has to be that part of the show. where it, it is it is that mental battle, and you know, like you said, when you've got white noise blasting you, you're in really stressful positions. I can't imagine. What it takes mentally to get through it. I mean, what are the thoughts? What are the thoughts in your head? And and what are you saying to yourself? Just
1: one second more. Just one second more. And you just you have to forget the journey. You have to visualize the end. What's the outcome? What's my purpose? What's my outcome? How does that look? You focus on the outcome. The outcome for me was passing that selection, especially as it was my second one. You know, your ha- your your purpose has to overwhelm your circumstance. Otherwise, you're overwhelmed by your circumstance. So as long as your purpose drives you and, and makes your circumstance belittled by your purpose, you're on the right track. But if your circumstance overwhelms your purpose, you are, you, you'll, never, you'll never find a way out, or you'll throw in the towel, you, you'll wrap, you'll not achieve your aim. So I'll say it again, your purpose has to overwhelm your circumstance.
0: I mean, one one thing, uh, final thing I wanted to get, because before I get into the three um, wrap-up questions, the one thing I wanted to ask was something that really surprised me. During the early stages of your career, you talked about you had to get taught the very basic things and how to do them properly. And that includes shaving, ironing, polishing your boots, things that people would assume they just know how to do but you were taught a specific way to do them properly gone back to basics and the idea you used was that sloppiness becomes habitual that is the quote you use um and is this still a way you think is that something you've taken from uh that time in your life and is that something you still practice today
1: yeah 100 you know that's something i've always done and i think you know i grew up in a family my dad's got ocd anyway Um, but I see that as a kind of benefit I inherited that so I see that as a quality but you know I I just feel that every little minor detail the more you concentrate on detail the more you are ready to to battle anything it makes you battle ready for everything, everything we want to do we want to shortcut and not do it the right way we don't want to send the extra email, we don't want to do the dishes at night but once you start to do everything and do it with such attention to detail it makes the bigger picture so much, has so much more clarity. So yeah, I am, you know, I'm, people would say, probably say I've got OCD or whatever, but yeah, I have, and it's a quality. It's a quality in so much as I make sure everything is squared away day by day to make my next day the best it can be.
0: Yeah, it's that idea of, of order. It brings, you know, it brings you back to a, um, a quote I read before. It was like, before you try and change the world, make your bed.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely that, that is it and there was a famous um, admiral that said that you know in the states um and that was the thing you know get up in the morning and make your bed it's dead simple fall into process because if you rely on emotion you just end up in a world of hurt so you, that is the process come in because as soon as you walk back in the last thing you want to walk back into is a mess and that is your bed just still the way you left it when you got out and it's like i mean at the moment for me it's driving me mental because i've just moved house it's crap everywhere and for me, when I see crap everywhere like that in my house and the same with someone's car, et cetera, et cetera, it just makes me feel that my life is out of control. And that creates a negative cycle in my head that I, I, I don't want to see. So, you know, I, I always say a lot of the time as well, you know, if someone wants to, if someone comes through a job interview, you, you know what you're best in. Instead better sitting them in front of you and asking them to bullshit to you for half an hour, go outside and have a look at their car, whether it's a new car or an old car, have a look. Is it, is it shiny? And is it full of shit inside? Because if it's full of shit inside, then their their heads full of shit as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <I love it. laughs> um, so yeah, as as we start to wrap this up now, it's just I'm going to ask you three questions that we ask every guest that comes on the show, and the first one being: uh, What are the societal norms or societal rules that you love to break?
1: Everything. And I, uh, but the thing is, I don't. I won't say everything. I question everything. If there's something, if there's a rule point in place, question it. Understand the purpose of that rule. Does it suit your purpose? And if it doesn't, don't be afraid to break it.
0: Love it. Um, so obviously, you are now a very successful author yourself. Uh, the book Breakpoint. I I will link in the show notes below, so anyone who hasn't ordered it yet can can do so. Um, so obviously, that book is impacting other people's lives, but. Are there any books that you have read in your life that have had an impact on you?
1: Yeah, absolutely and the one book that was a turning point for me that I read in 2014 was Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. Absolutely amazing. It made me understand how we work as humans, how, you know, when I talk about observing your emotions as opposed to becoming a victim of them, that all comes from that book. And some people might read it and it might not resonate, but for me, everything clicked into place as soon as I read that book. All the questions that that I was asking myself personally that were causing me confusion got answered in that book. So Eckhart Tolle and New Earth, absolutely. For me, that is the real Bible.
0: The final uh, question I have for you, you know, a lot has gone on in your life up until this point, but if you can recount, you know, all the experiences and lessons you've learned in your life and, put those into one short but impactful message that you would share with everyone in the world if you could. What would your message be?
1: My message would be that you must go beyond breakpoint every day and understand where your breakpoint is and when the inclination is to turn back, strive forward and push through because the obstacle is the way.
0: Amazing. Ollie. where can our listeners find you on on social media?
1: Ollie Ollerton. um, I'm across uh, Instagram as Oli um on Twitter Oli uh company's called breakpoint that's across all platforms as well so yeah you can find me you'll be ha- you'll be hard to miss me <laughs>